My name is Mitchell Hora, and you are listening to the Top Soul Podcast. We've got an awesome guest here today um, from Bank of America. You might have heard of him. Uh, but hanging out here today with Karen Fang, and she is the global head of sustainable finance at Bank of America. And it's been amazing to um, just hang out with Karen here just recently over the last couple months and, and learning about how a group like Bank of America is approaching sustainable finance. They have some massive, mind-blowingly massive goals that they're trying to attain in just the next couple short years. And agriculture is one of their focuses. And it's really interesting as a farmer looking at the groups that are trying to approach agriculture, that are looking at agriculture as part of their solution to improving climate and meeting their sustainability goals. And Bank of America is 100% on the forefront uh, they're exploring this space, and you're going to hear here why Karen is so interested and why she is pushing that regenerative agriculture needs to be a focus at a massive bank and, and for global finance to be looking at agriculture as part of their solution. So really eye-opening for me as a farmer. I think all of you listening to this are going to be really encouraged. And if you're an organization that wants to get connected in with Bank of America, we 100% um are interested in figuring out how do, how do all of this play together in a more cohesive manner to meet sustainability goals and to ensure that family farms are at the root of the solution. Enjoy this episode. This episode of the Top Soil Podcast is brought to you by Continuum Ag and Stout Seeds. Continuum Ag is a soil health intelligence company helping farmers globally monetize and improve their soil health. Stout Seed is an Iowa-based seed distributor that handles cover crops and forage seeds and distributes throughout the Midwest. Well, this is going to be a big episode here. We've got Karen Fang on. Karen, you're with Bank of America, and you guys are I'm obviously crushing it when it comes to like making big moves in sustainable finance. And your role is global head of sustainable finance. You've got some big tasks ahead of you. And the biggest one that I got to come right out the gate with is you guys are looking at financing a trillion dollars into sustainable finance by 2030. Like, are you able to sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mitchell, for having us. Uh, yes, it's definitely a pretty important job. And the answer is no, I don't sleep that much because it's a, it's a lot. And and by the way, up that number by 500 billion, it's actually 1.5 trillion by oh 2030. That's our overall sustainable finance commitment. But out of that, you're right. A trillion is dedicated to climate transition. So anything kind of that assists the environment uh, and then climate world to decarbonize. So the other 500 billion just for completeness, that's really dedicated to the social side of the equation to be more sustainable from a societal standpoint. So that includes our financing to do community development, to do affordable housing development, more fight, more um, healthcare and education financing. So, and and by the way, a lot of investments and frankly, small business investments for um, racial and gender equality as well. We do think the environmental piece and the social piece are very well connected. And many projects really touch upon the E goal and the S goal, um, the environmental goal and the social goal. So it's not really divided so you know rigidly. But it's overall is 1.5 trillion by 2030, and no, I'm not sleeping. That is wild. Well, I I could tell you and I and you and I haven't spent um, a ton of time together, but just from the little interaction that I've had, I'm like, okay, this is somebody I need to know more because like you, I can tell like you're 
what you're what I called you're just a machine and just like hammer down, get it done. And like, that's awesome. And I think that's what you got to be. And because, so, I mean, what does it look like though? Like, what does your actual day-to-day look like to be able to drive this? Obviously you have a ton of people, Bank of America is massive. You guys have a lot of boots on the ground, but what do you do? So like, it's, you know, can a, it's a company that takes a project to you guys saying, Hey, we want to do a big carbon program or, Hey, we want to do a big windmill farm, or we want to do a big solar farm or whatever. And they take that to you and you say, Hey, cool. Here's a, you know, here's a half a trillion dollars or like, how does this work? Yeah. Oh, great question. So we are really structurers by background. So I've been on wall street for a long time. And I think, you know, I consider myself very fortunate to be able to do good projects that, you know, we can feel proud of, right? When you describe what you do to your kids, you can feel really proud that, you know, you're doing good and doing well, and you're actually helping, you know, the world decarbonize, and hopefully they won't have as many natural disasters as we're seeing today. And also they have more prosperity in society and more sustainability in society. So what I do tangibly every day, since that's your question, is that we have a lot of clients, it's not just project developers, to your point, you know, when, yeah, we have that absolutely, right? A wind, uh, offshore wind farm developer and often a group of them will come to us and say, we need financing and we haven't constructed this year. We have the permits to do so. How do we optimally structure the financing package, right? And you carve it up, you know, without getting into all the jargons, you know, on Wall Street, how do you carve, carve, it, up, carve it up so you can achieve the cost efficiency? Um, help us design that. We're an advisor, we're a structure, we're a financing provider, we're a syndication coordinator, and we do all those things. When you think about the 1.5 trillion we just talked about, yeah. that involves what we finance and invest in from our Bank of America's balance sheet. It also involves a fast growing capital markets and a securitization market where a lot of investors, pensions, endowments, sure. foundations, asset managers, insurance companies are joining the fight to provide more capital to the right type of projects. So our job really is to look at not just private sector developers, but also governments may come to us on projects. We may have different NGOs. We may have different multilateral development banks, development finance institutions. I would say if you have to you know, kind of summarize our job in one go is, is really financial structuring every day and looking through and prioritizing the projects and making sure our financial um, resources are optimized to scale capital in the right way. Right. And is that kind of the key thing? So to me, to, so out of the pot that's going the 1.5 trillion towards sustainability, is it they're prioritized based on they do kind of meet some sustainability criteria or, um, and that's what triggers them to the top of the priority list, or if they meet those criteria, they get better financing rates, or is it kind of a combo, but better interest rates and faster approval and top of the list or one or the other? I would say it's an element of all of them, right? And it's a combination of all of them. So we defined a pretty conservative, you know, set of taxonomy, which is terminology, like in terms of what we count as sustainable finance activity for Bank of America and for our clients and what's not. Right. And largely speaking, you divide that into two categories. One is pure play. Right. So you have pure play categories. If you're an EV company or wind company or regenerative agriculture company, we consider those pure play sectors. So we want to do more and we want to lean in more. And that, to your point, is about prioritization, is about more resources, faster, you know, turnaround and, and project design and financing closing time. It's also potentially right, depending on how we structure this and what type of uh, blended capital we have you get better attractive rates. Right. The other side is activity-based, right? You could have a brown company that's transitioning to green. By the way, not every company is low carbon and pure play today. 
Sure. You still have automobile companies that are making plans to make more electrical vehicles. You have oil and gas companies that's transitioning to become a green hydrogen company. Mm. We have to assist clients in this transition. I know, Mitchell, a lot of the work you're doing is helping farmers make their farming practice more sustainable yeah. and more regenerative. All of this is a transition. So the transition financing is activity-based. Right. So it's sort of the clean cut green companies you can do today or green projects you can do today, as well as the transitional financing you can do. So, and, and that's what I'm really interested in too, because on you guys' website, there's four main kind of targets where at least the initial trillion that I was originally first aware of, it's angled at energy, renewables, transport, and ag. And ag made the list of the top four, which is super exciting on my side. Like why ag and where are you guys at with that? And from my understanding, like ag is pretty emerging in this. Ag's probably not quite as far along as some of these other sectors are, but like why ag? What are you looking for? And and with an ag audience here, how do we prepare, how do we position ourselves? For well, this? first of all, we all eat three meals a day. At yeah. least I do. Yeah. I know some people eat two meals a day. So I think food and agriculture is on everyone's mind. And population is not stopping the growth, right? I mean, we're looking at labor shortage right now. So you can assume safely that we'll have more people <laughs> and potentially less sustainable uh, food ecosystem in 30 years or in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? So I mean, we eat all day long. So I think food and ag is on everyone's mind. We want to make sure we have lower carbon emissions coming from that sector. I think you look at ag emissions, it's around 10 to 11% of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, according to the EPA. Mm -hmm. So it's a big component, right? Energy is 70%, energy and power is 70%, but ag is not, <laughs> ag is not a small component. Yeah. So when we look at energy and power and transportation and ag, that's, you know, that's by design because we do think this is not sustainable right now. When we think about more people, less food, and less sustainable practice, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be in trouble, you know, uh, if we don't do something about it. Well, and less acres to be able to grow it on, and all those kind of things too. You know, as population continues to grow, more and, yield. You gotta it, have more yield. You have to have more yields and stuff. So, um, and yeah, I mean, agriculture, like I said, I've even heard that U.S. ag is up to like twelve percent potentially of the U.S. carbon footprint, and I believe globally, agriculture is fifteen percent of the yep. global carbon footprint, but so huge, huge deal. But I really preach to farmers on like, well, yeah, today we're a big part of the problem, but agriculture is very unique in that it has a direct capability of not only getting to zero emission, but really going negative too, and really offsetting other people's, you know, other, other emissions too. I mean, how are you guys looking at that? And maybe how are you thinking about ag or like, how, how do you approach it, I guess? Like, how do you get started in something that is new? And obviously as some of our conversations before, this is really early, but like, what's that process look like to explore something that's brand new? How does a group like you guys go about saying, here's one of our targets, we need to learn about it. What does that process look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, without, again, getting to the jargon of scope one, two, three emissions, but we are all connected is the point, right? Yeah. So when you look at a, a food company or fertilizer company, or you look at any type of uh, sort of up chain, if you will, their emissions are going to have to include the farming product emissions, farming output emissions uh, in their scope three, which is basically the supply chain and the value chain, right? So how a food company produces food in their own operations and the power they use and the resource they consume to make that food from the raw output of corn or you know um, a weed or anything like that is 
in, in their own operations, operational scope one and two, they can control that, right? What power they consume, are they using renewable? Are they using you know, conventional oil and gas? But they can't fully control your part of the equation, which is, hey, where does that corn or wheat come from? And what are the emissions of producing that, right? So I think that's why the work you're doing is so important. And from our standpoint, we're financing that food and agriculture company. We're maybe financing that fertilizer company. We want to help those companies and many, many large companies in the world and governments have announced net zero by 2050 as a target. Bank America is one of them, right? So when we finance a food company that's producing food from your output, Mm-hmm. They have announced net zero pledge. We have announced net zero pledge. Our financed emissions yeah. in our, is in our scope three, and your emissions are in their scope three. Correct. You see how this is all connected? 100%. So but we it have is a all the incentive point. to help you reduce your emissions and regenerative agriculture and soil carbon as a related, you know, sort of product to that is very important for everybody to get right. It's a key piece that I want to make sure we stress on, especially for everyone listening in on this, that the key piece of where Bank of America fits in, because I'm sure when people see the title here and it's of, of the podcast, it's Bank of America, they're going to be like, wait, what? that's kind of a little different. But it's because Bank of America is working with the folks that as farmers we work with every day, those are your customers and you're trying to help them better work with us. That's right. Um, so that's a really key piece. I think we got to, got to keep in mind. Um, but, and, and I mean, yeah, you guys, it, that was part of, I mean, you guys were, came out to our big event that we had a couple, well, now it was early December and uh, Michael from your team came. What I haven't uh, asked you or, or asked him on, what was the report like? And uh, you know, what was, what was kind of feedback? Maybe, maybe Exciting. what was what was the thing that really struck you from like when he went back, leaving the big event, what was the takeaway that you had um, from his report? Yeah, so I think the takeaway is that it is a very important um, segment of the market to reduce ag- agriculture emissions, as we talked about. And the farmers, you know, support is super important. I think the takeaway is that it is something we have to really focus on and do and we have to make sure the money side of the equation gets supported, right? There is an incentive to do this and do this right. Mm-hmm. So the entire ecosystem, your emissions, the food company and the fertilizer companies, scope three emissions, the food companies, scope three emissions, our financed emissions, we are all managing that and decrease that over time by 2050, right? Yeah. So when you think about that, the scale, and you know, I think I think I read some stats like this is crazy. It's like only six percent of the farmland in the U.S. Corn Belt practice regenerative mm-hmm. agriculture practices, and Iowa loses two pounds of soil for every pound of corn produced. You know, when you think about that, that doesn't strike us as very sustainable. But no. how do we how do we invest the money, which may not see return tomorrow, right, to actually do this right? That can generate that soil carbon credits, that can generate the necessary revenue for the farmers through better yield, number one, right? And more sustainable practices and, and frankly, diversified set of revenue streams to do this collectively with the intellectual capital that we're putting into the space is really, really important. But I think the takeaway for us is there's gonna be a scale challenge is how do you get more people to do this Correct. faster and Correct. adopt this faster? And I think that's the collective challenge we have to take on. 
Yeah. And of course, that's what I'm, you know, directly trying to figure out how do I scale the know-how because that's what I see is really missing. Okay. Because there are, there's an array of different financing efforts that are out there. There's cost share, there's different things, but, but there's not enough farmers to your point, 6% in the corn belt. And I believe nationwide it's only 4%. And that would be farmers that are using cover crops is kind of part of that definition of how to define regen ag. There'd be more farmers than that, that are using no-till, but specifically using cover crops, very small percentage because it's hard. It's, it's tough to do. It's tough to know how to do it. It's a mind shift change. And that's what we're trying to really digitize and scale because, yeah, Hey, we're going to have to get this figured out. And what I think is really interesting for this conversation is that a couple of years ago, you know, the far, there's more and more farmers that are coming to the table saying, okay, I, I see where the puck is going because I pay attention and I'm a smart farmer that I've been doing this for a long time. I get it. I'm not sure if I'm ready to jump in head first right now, but I at least am going to come to the event or I'm going to start to understand because I know that I'm going to have to be there. But, but then how do we accelerate that is the real question. How do we get the scale that you guys need? Cause for you guys to enter into this, it's got to be at scale. And I think that's what as farmers and in the ag community, we got to think bigger. We got to think faster, more aggressive, bigger effort so that we can really you know, scale this thing up and because we're gonna have to make some major jumps to go from only 6% that we're at today to significantly higher because we're starting from a pretty low starting point. So, well, I think, I think that's exactly right, Mitchell. And I think that's frankly, you know, if I could paint, you know, a picture that's ideal for everybody and everyone wins in this, right. Is to say, how do we really group the value chain effectively? Right. And think through, you know, the quickest way to get the fastest amount of adoption and make the money part work, right? Because if there's no economics, no one is really going to be incentivized to do anything that's going to result in a lot of investment, not a lot of return. Right. So, um, you know, when you when you think about the UN IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and again, this is pretty interesting. They looked at all the different decarbonization technologies and they said the soil carbon sequestration is the lowest cost method of carbon removal removal currently available wow okay. so true. the un has told united nations has told us soil carbon if done right yeah can be the lowest cost of carbon removal you're not thinking about a tremendous amount of capex and opex to do this mm -hmm. right if you do this right so imagine this this may not be the only path but this could be a path yeah you have a large multinational food company that buys you know you know agriculture output from farmers right they buy from multiple farms, multiple geographies. They pledge to net zero. They know they have to reduce the scope three emissions. Yeah. Bank of America is probably one of their lenders. We together with organizations like you and others that are really training people on regenerative practices, work together, right? Yeah. On, hey, that's this is the program we're gonna do. And here are some sort of catalytic finance. We may have to blend some of this with some of the development capital from you know, philanthropic organizations, we may sure. have to do this with USDA, we may have to do this with government. We have to get everyone together on the table to carve up the money that's needed to invest in equipment, right? To basically do different things, whether it's, you know, cover crops or what, whatever you need to buy and, you know, CapEx investment upfront, you need to get that money ready. And then the return is better yielding, uh, obviously, but also potentially soil carbon credits. That market, as we know, it's still very nascent. We need to verify more soil carbon credits that can be sold to other 
you know, companies or organizations that pledge to net zero, that's part of the revenue stream. We have to really kind of design the input, the output. We have to get everyone that has an interest in seeing the space decarbonized and regenerative practices increased. We have to get everyone around the table from the public and private sector and to decide how much money is needed for this to be done at scale and start really kind of divvying up the capital structure. So maybe that's too much of the thinking, but I think we need to get this coalition together no, it's spot on. This. It's spot on because you know, in my angle there, the 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 risk to the farmer is the upfront transition risk. And when we approach a farm, we help them to quantify that risk, and then we help them to overcome that risk with, hey, here's some cost share dollars, or here's a carbon program, or here's, hey, let's go talk to the banker and let's make sure that they're on board, and let's make sure the team is on board. They know the risk, but they know that we are going to be money ahead. And for some real quick numbers and quick story, our first year using cover crops, we lost a hundred dollars an acre because we screwed up a lot of things. We didn't know what we were doing and we didn't have continue mag at the time. And uh, then, you know, but now my profitability is over $350 an acre. Now we've been able to really get there. And now we're really pumping the carbon. And for a continuum, our, our average value that we brought to our customers this past fall was $106 and 24 cents an acre. And you lost So my, what I think is really interesting to your point that it's, it becomes cost effective because sequestering the carbon becomes just part of implementing more sustainable agriculture, which not only leads to carbon outcomes, but improved water quality, reducing flooding, nutrient density, biodiversity and habitat, so many other benefits that agriculture can bring to the table. Um, plus now we can say, hey, we, UN says that we could be the cheapest method at scale. And there's over 5 billion acres no, you know, globally in ag. Like it's a big opportunity, but- um, anyway, I, I want to hit you with one, one last key question. And that is, what is your personal, like what, what really drives you personally in this? Like, yeah, there's the bank of America stuff and, and they want to do this. They would be a leader. And, and obviously they want to make some money on this along the way and position their customers. But, but what really drives you? Like you don't sleep at night. So what, <laughs> uh, you know, so what, do, what, what really drives you and why, what makes you so passionate about this? Cause it's, abundantly obvious to me that you are super passionate about this. So, yeah. so why, I mean, what, what makes you tick here? Well, you know, I, I'm an immigrant, right? I was born in China, I went to school in Japan. I then started work for Merrill Lynch in Tokyo. And then I moved to London and then I moved to the U S I'm a proud citizen of the United States of America. And for me, I consider myself lucky because I've had exposure to different cultures, different continents, I've always done finance because in finance, I feel like I can touch every industry. I can talk to you in agriculture. I can talk to someone in energy and power. You know, I, I am, I'm, I'm curious as hell. Like I really just like to learn and learn from people that are better than me and start smarter than me every day. That's probably coming from the two professor parents that I had, which always tells me there is always someone better than me and smarter than me and, you know, whatever, stronger than me, whatever. So for me, what drives me is this constant yearning to learn and to do something that I will be proud of that I can pass on to my next generation. I have two little kids. I know you just had a young kid, so congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. you. had a baby. Um, so for me, it's about leaving this legacy that I can be proud of because I'm fortunate enough to, you know, have really lived around different parts of the world and make enough money that I can have a comfortable living. For me, it's really just about bringing more humanity into finance. There's so many things that Wall Street do, do that get, you know, sort of evilized and what have you. And there are absolutely mistakes that every industry makes. And I think Wall Street had made a lot of mistakes, but I also feel like Wall Street has the potential to really lead this in climate change, in social change and bring capital to where it's needed. And that for me is dream come true to bring my financial knowledge with a purpose 
to bring more humanity. So people see us not just as a big bank with a lot of money, but people see us as, as an organization with a heart and a soul that can actually bring capital to the right place and do the work. By the way, a lot of the work we're doing today don't even pay us, right? I mean, like the work you're doing, not every piece of, you know, training and workshop you do is paying you money, but we do not this because we believe in scale, believe in yeah. purpose, and that's what drives me. That's so cool. And yeah, I mean, especially with like now, you know, being a dad, yeah, Celeste is uh, about two months old here now, two and a half months old. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, for her to be eighth generation farmer, you know, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not an immigrant, but my family that did immigrate here, you know, we're taking care of the exact same land that they moved on to and uh, it's been here for forever. And we want to make sure we're taking care of it for the next eight generations um, and beyond, you know, so, so, so cool. Um, amazing to chat. We hammered through, got some awesome stuff in. So excited to see where, where the next things lead with you guys. So excited to just be connected um, and really, really appreciate the time and, and the insight here. This has been really awesome. Thank you, Mitchell, for having me. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of the Top Soul Podcast. If you want to learn more about Continuum Ag, you can find us at continuum.ag. And if you like this episode, please give us a review or share us with your friends. And if you would like more information on Stout Seed, find us at stoutseed.com or look me up on social media at Seed Junkie. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.